Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Second Turnbuckle Podcast. My name is Toogie, joined by the illustrious, the incomparable, the under the weather, the, the under the weather, the technologically screwed. Oh, man. Crash Andrews. If it doesn't, you know, when it rains, it pours. Is that is that the phrase? Like, literally, this week has been one of the worst weeks of my life. Granted, nobody died yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the week is <laughs> still young. It's only, well, we're recording this on Wednesday because of my technical issues and... Uh, I have a cold. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So, um, yeah, just everything that's gone that could go wrong this week has gone wrong. I mean, that's that's the way it goes, is it not? But we are still here to talk about some wrestling as we do. We're going to keep things hopefully a little bit shorter. We'll hold off on on any questions for this week. But I have three distinct doors Distinct? Distinctive? Distinct. Let's go with distinct. I have three distinctive doors of which Crash Andrews could open. None of them are forbidden. Oh. Oh, I know, right? Oh, just haven't heard enough of that term over the past three years, right? Just can't get enough of that forbidden door. Crash, one, two, three. Choose your own adventure as we kick off this week's worth of wrestling discussion. Uh, before I do that, can I do a quick shout out to Dungeon Wrestling, which put on an amazing show back at the uh, the old Stampede uh, Wrestling, uh, the Pavilion. It was beautiful. It was amazing. The wrestling was top notch, and they treated me like a king. Um, even Bret Hart, when I got some autographs, said, "Well, because I went and and I took photos for them, and I didn't charge him anything." And Bret Hart uh, kept giving him things. I had four different items for him to sign. And he's like, "Oh yeah, no, that's." Don't worry about it. You were the photographer. We got to take care of you. And I'm like, Bret Hart has to take care of me. Ah, <laughs> suck it, Toogie. Um, so now you're sick and everything's dying. Yeah, yeah. It went so good. Because the karma has to balance out. It went so good. And then, you know, thanks, Bret. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, shout out Dungeon Wrestling. Make sure you check them out on Twitter. Uh, absolutely fantastic uh, indie uh, upstart it's it's gonna be a, a good good thing for uh people to check out uh because we're a fan of mjf on this podcast we're gonna go mid we're gonna go two. Oh, fun fact door number two is AEW, and a brief bit of discussion on this i don't think we'll have a ton to discuss uh, we are you know for transparency recording this immediately after the uh, november 2nd 2022 edition of dynamite leading up to this dynamite i mean it was more of the same in regards to everything cm punk and elite related uh the past two weeks worth of dynamites now there have been the very obvious teases that the elite will be coming back more than likely at full gear or the event after that there is everything regarding cm punk and like oh did his dog get injured not get injured like just all of that that I think everyone's just over, regardless of what the truth of the matter is in that situation. But tonight's Dynamite Crash, I presume you weren't able to check it out. There were um, three people that showed up that left that episode feeling like a goddamn fever dream. 
Uh, that being uh, one double J Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Ain't he great? I shit you not. It's November, so that means it's his month to be on AEW. <laughs> you know, it kind of feels that way. Um, they have a history, though. They yeah. do, of having just these random fucking appearances. Yeah. Um, when they did their spoof of the ultimate deletion, you know, when Matt Matt Hardy first gets there and Gang Growl showed up, um, the Rock and Roll Express did a lot of stuff. I think with Santana and Ortiz, Ricky Morton did a fucking Canadian Destroyer on an episode of Dynamite once upon a time. I believe it was earlier this year, or was it last year, that Juventud Guerrera showed up and wrestled Chris Jericho? That no, he wrestled um Oh, it was, because that was the uh that was the different matches that MJF mm. threw at I think that was last year because Nick Gage was one of them with the pizza yeah. cutter. Yeah. Um uh God, you had w. when they were teased w. w Morsey. He's still there. He's no, he's I like know. full time now. But back but then you're he right, was the one, one random. of the surprise guys, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, when they were teasing who the exalted one was, there was a week where they just showed Raven sitting in the crowd. They didn't acknowledge <laughs> that it was Raven, but right. someone fought out in the crowd, and it's just fucking Raven sitting there. And the announcers are like, "Who the, what, is that? Who I think it is?" And they never followed up on that at all. They were just teasing it. Can I just um, say that out of all the wrestlers you'd want to see one more match out of, give me one more high-profile Raven match. I, if I'm not mistaken, he just went into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame on Correct, their yep. pre-show for Bound for Glory, and uh, yep. I'm pretty sure he mentioned not being up for wrestling anymore, <laughs> which is <laughs> the old understandable. Take it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they have a history of like appearances like this. But I mean, back um, then, back then too, it was that's what they had to do to kind of get on the radar. I yeah. mean, it was the the big signings. And it was the guys that they brought in for the one-offs or, or what have you. So, I mean, did they need that? Arguably it, not, but hmm. that's how they and got this, it. This Jeff Jarrett thing does not look to be a one-off. I imagine it is a shorter stint kind of program that they're running. Essentially teasing stuff between Jeff Jarrett and staying in the WCW connection. So I don't necessarily hate it. Um... You know, the continued Ring of Honor presence that is rather polarizing, to say the least. Uh, Cole Cabana was on Dynamite tonight and had a match with Chris Jericho <laughs> for the ROH World title, um, which how a lot did... of people speculated might be the case. And uh, yeah, it was interesting. How'd that go? Like, how'd the crowd go over because of everything he that had you a good had reaction. Yeah, good, good. Like, yeah, it, I... it wasn't Stone Cold at WrestleMania 17 no. in Houston, Texas, but. I. I'm sure we're going to talk about dropped opportunities later on in the podcast, but I think not featuring Colt Cabana in some way, shape, or form in the last three months up until now has been somewhat of a mistake. Now, I, granted, you don't put him into the heavyweight picture. You don't really build anything around him, but that next week... Colt Cabana should have just come out, had a match, and went to the back, said nothing, and just test the waters and see how the crowd reacts. Because, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how. 
Did you see the episode? You might because you're a dad. I know SpongeBob was like a little bit beyond your time, but there's the meme where um, it's Squidward competing with SpongeBob trying to get crowd reaction, and they're okay. behind a curtain, and SpongeBob pokes his arm out, and the crowd cheers, and then Squidward does it, and the crowd boos. So okay. just have Colt come out from behind the curtain, hey, and then hold yeah, like yeah. a picture of Phil's yeah. head, boo. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually quite interesting because I saw a TikTok with somebody who made that as a costume. Mm. Or maybe it was on Twitter or whatever. I had no frame of reference what it was. Uh, <laughs> SpongeBob was like in between me becoming a young adult and mm. my kids uh, realizing what television is. So we we missed the uh, we did miss the uh, the SpongeBob era. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, they also Mike, had Mike Tyson. From, uh, so, yeah, I was going to say, they also had from New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, Katsuyori Shibata showed up. He'll be wrestling Orange Cassidy on a live rampage on Friday. Okay. That match theoretically could be commentated by Mike Tyson. Because <laughs> that's who you want to I'm give a microphone to. Okay, here's a question. Would you rather hear uh, the... <laughs> Would you rather hear CM Punk's press conference or Mike Tyson on commentary? Like, oh, there's a snap neck takedown. There's oh, Stone Cold Stunner. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's he gonna do? What's Mike Tyson gonna do on commentary? D- don't get me wrong. If he was here, I would not be saying this. He's not listening to the podcast. Let's be no. honest. So I'm gonna shit talk him as much as I want. Mike Tyson should not be given a microphone for any reason unless he's describing his back injury. Spinal. 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 <laughs> I'm here for it. It's it seems like absolute train wreck potential. I'm here for it. I thought I saw though. Isn't is this for down the road? But Orange Cassidy is supposed to take on Luchasaurus, and that was tonight. That was tonight. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so it was uh, it was a pretty solid match. Um, Luchasaurus was taken out of the match by Jungle Boy, which is a little bit predictable, but I'm okay with that. Right. Um. And then, yeah, they, they continued teasing dissension between uh, Death Triangle as the trio's champions, which allowed Orange Cassidy to win. So, honestly, they have done a much better job in a, in a sense. Like, there isn't too much that happens on a Dynamite that one could label as directionless. Uh, they have a lot of... I don't know if they're going full Vince Russo, where every person on the roster up and down needs a story and a character. I don't think they're going that crazy. Fair. But, you know, a, a good middle ground, in a sense. But it does feel like they're going a week to two weeks at a time. Yes. To me, at least. Like, mm-hmm. there is no... Like, take, for instance, on Raw, uh, it was revealed that um, The Miz and uh, Dexter Loomis were actually <laughs> working together, where we had a month of... Dexter so Loomis dumb. doing everything. Yeah. Uh, so terrible. We'll terrible get to payoff. WWE. Don't worry. Cause that Fair. that's up there for me of like, what the fuck? Fair. But, but uh, if that was like, if that was the plan all along, at least we got there after two months. Right. Cause I mean, they were doing this during white rabbit. So, mm. uh, close. I don't to know if you get there? credit though, for that poor of a payoff by saying like, well, at least it took a while. <laughs> no, but it, it feels like the you know the payoff wasn't didn't come off or didn't come up like a week later, you know like they're they're building to something and I don't know what it is. I I was actually looking forward to uh, Miz 
Dexter Loomis program, uh, like an actual match in the ring, because I think that would actually be a, a very good match. But it looked, it didn't feel like how AEW just kind of goes, oh, we're going to throw these guys. Like the Jungle Boy Luchasaurus storyline, I'm loving because they're still not putting them together and they're costing each other matches and they're get, eventually getting. And I mean, the next payoff is uh, Christian for mm. Jungle Boy, right? But you can't rush that because of the injury. Yeah, right. They would well, have gotten there had it not been for the uh, the elbow injury for Christian, right? Right. So I, I all- agree. In a, in a general sense, you know, AEW has had the feeling of like the first couple of years they did have their their grand directions and prolonged storylines. And now it's like, mm, how far in advance are you looking at the same time, I think situations for them keep constantly changing. Yeah, I was, was going to say injuries, injuries stupidity um, behind the scenes, is stupidity a behind well. the scenes, ring of honor, not getting a deal clearly as soon as they thought it would. Um, yeah. 2022 has been a very crazy freaking year for that company. Um, despite oh. that dynamite next week's in Boston, I'm going Yay. and I am scared (laughs) (laughs) cautiously optimistic i I have no idea what if jeff jarrett can show up one week then who the fuck knows what i'm in store for next week but i i can't say i'm like bored or like oh i regret buying tickets to this like i'm like oh shit what the fuck's gonna happen this is gonna be weird isn't it oh even even being as negative nancy as i am if they finally come to calgary i'm absolutely going i'd love to see uh an aew show but you know tony khan it doesn't like Western Canada, apparently. I don't know what it is about like professional wrestling in Western Canada, especially Calgary. WWE has avoided us like the plague. It's been stupid. And I don't know if we like as a crowd were were more Monday after mania because there's been some really stupid raws that I've gone to where like the crowd just absolutely takes over. Mm. But granted, they've had some really terrible shows put on at the Saddle Dome as well. Just sticking it to Brett. Still, <laughs> after right? all these years, uh, I was there was a oh, I know it's not behind one of your doors, but do you think if Tony Khan wasn't the person to purchase ROH that there'd be a deal, especially with all the news of uh, Fight Plus? Mm. Like, they're pretty much collecting all the they're not indies, but they're not big league either. Like those, those mid to smaller, like GCW and, um, prestige, I think signed uh, with them. Maybe, I don't know. There's, there is a bit of like an indie, uh, rights war going on. Yeah. And uh, between independent wrestling TV and, uh, and fight. I wonder if uh, if ROH was still, or you know, if it was anybody but Triple H or Tony Khan, if uh, Fight would be picking up ROH and and be running with a TV deal for them. It's a good question. Definitely a good question. What would have happened to Ring of Honor if, you know, like would they have just outright shut down? Would WWE have done anything? I mean, you got to figure with, you know, it would have gone against the idea of what uh, Vince McMahon led WWE would be doing. And at the same time, what's the overwhelming benefit for WWE to pick up that library? I guess just more content for Peacock, but the library. Yes. But to, to run it as a show. No, like they would have picked up the library if they finally said, yeah, we're, we're done. We're closing down. Right. Right. They absolutely would have picked up that library in a heartbeat. 
So, admittedly, door number three was going to be our old school related talk, but I think because you brought up the Miz, we'll go to our WWE related mm-hmm. door here. I I don't know what to think of that company. Still, I'm not overly impressed. You know, the idea of they were in cahoots the whole time as a story. Yeah. Never works. Yeah. Never. It's yeah. it's imagine if the rockers broke up and then Marty was just like, ah, we got you. I actually tried to escape. I am a coward. <laughs> right. Like just just awful. So the whole idea of like, oh, Ms. paid him for the, uh, the, the celebrity that wanted attention. Brutal. Brutal yeah. story. The the only thing that stands out is the bloodline stuff, which I do see the clips of because Sami Zayn is a gem and always has been a gem and always right. will be a gem. That is easily the most entertaining storyline they have had in potentially a goddamn decade. It's fantastic. But I feel like everything else is or virtually everything else is falling short. I think the Miz storyline has well fallen short. The Bray Wyatt stuff, Uncle Howdy, terrible. (laughs) Same shit they were doing before for years. Zero interest for me. It's going to be a no. Simon Cowell, thumbs down. Just, ugh. They went from one of the hottest things in wrestling to one of the coldest things in wrestling by their own hand. I don't know if I'd call it cold because I know he still sells a shitload of merch and stuff like that. No, but for fair, me, but he no interest. Who's he going to fight? There's no, like, he just comes out and, and talks about just the world. <laughs> Did you say stuff? Himself. Oh, himself. Or his brother. Um, but yeah, like, there's there's no setup here. Like, there's no... What like, would garner less heat? Bray Wyatt versus a returning Bo Dallas or Sin Cara Asul versus Sin Cara Negro? <laughs> because I think that Sin Cara match at like Hell in a Cell 2011 probably would get a better reaction than that potential match would. Fair. Absolutely fair. But as as we talked about last week, like you have to have something for me to be interested in. Like, hell, Give us Dolph Ziggler. Give us um, who's like like Robert Root, like somebody that you've already thrown away, but you're paying for to stick around on the roster. Like, give us our truth before he got injured. Like, oh yeah, that was uh, that was a really. Un- I saw that. That was unfortunate. Speaking of old bodies not being able to hold up, boys, he's been able to put <sighs> together a career. But I mean, like. Throw one of those guys to the wolves. I don't know how, because the way it looks is that it's Bo Dallas as Uncle Howdy. That's what it's looking like going to be coming to fruition. Which again, like, it's how much did you enjoy Undertaker versus Undertaker? Because I didn't. (laughs) Oh, boy. You mean the worst SummerSlam main event of all time? Like the Leslie Nielsen stuff in between matches was more mm. entertaining than the actual match of Undertaker versus Undertaker. Yes. So, like, yeah, there's nothing here. There's really nothing here. 
and again, I, I still stand by the fact of like it went from one of the hottest, hottest things in wrestling to just one of the dullest. Makes no sense. They absolutely botched this, and there's still rumors of a faction, which is absolutely unnecessary. Yeah. I I don't have too much else to add there. Like I said, for anyone that, uh, you know, still enjoys it, likes the direction of it, cool. In a general sense, it's still being met positively. Like I said, I know he's still selling a crap load of merch, but to me, I view this as it's the same damn thing. Like, uh, Sister Abigail is Uncle Howdy. Like, it's the same crap yeah so very disappointed by that they have crown jewel this weekend which you couldn't pay me to watch nope but it's worth noting that uh this today is actually the four-year anniversary of the 2018 event in which Shawn michaels broke his retirement for what was probably the worst match of the year that i admittedly never watched because why the fuck would I? Old men's body's not holding up. <laughs> Triple H got hurt in that match, right? He tore. Oh, his, his pectoral again. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And Sean, uh, Kane's mask kept falling off. In his hair. Mm. And uh, I mean, at, by the end, I think we can respectfully say that the Undertaker needed people to elevate him in the ring. Mm-hmm. And Triple H and Shawn Michaels and Kane were not young going to whippersnappers in there. Well, even look at the the Crown Jewel where it was Goldberg. Like, damn it, if either one of them came out of that match alive, mm. like some of the stuff that happened in that match was just gross to watch. Just the negligence, and not necessarily out of um, not necessarily out of their you know meaning to do. Just they were they couldn't carry each other and you need somebody to carry you to have a stellar match if you're in your 50s or 60s i for a variety of reasons wouldn't watch one of these cards you know just the the moral of it again yeah but they're they're throwaway pay-per-views nothing happens they are they are like it's the idea of nothing on that really matters like was it the first one where they're like, yeah, we want Yokozuna to appear. Can you make that happen? It's Probably. like, uh, guys. <laughs> we'll look into and it. And then they brought in some fucking sumo wrestler to just be like, ah, see, it's kind of like Yokozuna. This guy has the title of Yokozuna once. <laughs> or the or the, uh, the Royal Rumble that they had, or the Battle Royal that they had, mm. and Monsoon. No, no, no. No, no, no. Different one, because that was actually oh. a pay-per-view on its own. Oh, fun. But they had a battle royal where Monsoor, who's now part of the uh, big meaty men, whatever, uh, <laughs> maximum male models or something like that, mm-hmm. um, won this Royal Rumble when like, he was never featured on TV. He was never uh, talked about before, but oh my gosh, here's this guy from Saudi Arabia. Let's get, you know, it It felt chintzy as much as, you know, I you get it and you don't want to talk badly about that. But on the same token, you had your top guys and you let them lose to a hometown guy to appease somebody who's writing a check. Like, 
the crown jewel is an absolute write-off. There's no reason for it other than money. The only positive I can find from a WWE perspective this week, outside of the Bloodline stuff being incredibly entertaining, was the announcement that they have allowed Shinsuke Nakamura to make an appearance outside of the company. January 1st for Pro Wrestling Noah, he'll be taking on the Great Muta. Now, Muta's not quite what he used to be from an in-ring perspective, as you'd expect. He has... Uh, his knees, I'm pretty sure, consist of pulverized uh, materials of all of all different sorts. But man, am I still going to watch this and probably have a fun time at that. Well, if anybody's going to be able to carry a good segue, I think Shinsuke is going to be able to. And I mean, Shinsuke on home turf versus Shinsuke in WWE, mm-hmm. two completely different animals. Mm-hmm. So I think... I think this is a prime opportunity for Shinsuke to show uh, not only the world, but WWE who forgot or feels like they forgot who they actually signed, um, what they actually have. I think I think it's going to be a great match. It's it's certainly going to be more Hogan rock than anything else, but that's what you would want it to be. I'm hoping it's Hogan. I'm hoping it's Hogan Shawn Michaels. (laughs) (laughs) oh that would be that would be something so so who needs who needs this match more is it muda to end on a high streak and i know it's not his last last match but is it more muda to end on a high streak or is it shinsuke to show people who he actually can be given the right amount of time in the right direction and, and all of that like I have, like I said, I have a feeling that they're going to allow Shinsuke to be home soil Shinsuke. Who needs this I, match uh, more? I, I'm I'm going to go with the latter on that one. I think it's a great opportunity. Like the the bar of expectation is, I don't want to say on the floor for Muda, mm-hmm. but anybody familiar with him at this stage knows his health. You know, they know where the level is. This is a great opportunity for Nakamura to sell himself to be like, hey, I probably will come back to Japan someday soon. <laughs> Keep an eye out. Yep. Yep. So, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's a great opportunity for him to kind of reiterate that he has been uh, taking it easy because why wouldn't he? You know, enjoying the surfing and uh, <laughs> just, just chilling out, making a boatload of money in America, you know? And why wouldn't you? If they're not going to give you anything, take the money. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) Take the money, enjoy living in Florida as best you can. Lord knows that sounds like a challenge. And, yeah, do what you got to do. Put on okay matches. Punch AJ Styles in the dick, you know? Yeah, at WrestleMania. There's your WrestleMania moment for Shinsuke Nakamura. He wins the Rumble and then punches AJ in the dick after he lost. Yeah, that's good shit. That was one of my, like, I think I'm about done with this moments. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. God, because that was the same mania where Roman and Brock stunk up the main event. Yeah. In New Orleans. Is that the one where Brock threw the belt at, at yes. <laughs> Vince as well? Yeah. That was that was like a five-hour show, too, and, brought, and that's why Brock came out first against Seth Rollins the year later. Yep. 
yep, he's like, fuck you. I'm not I'm not going to get that dead reaction at the end of this show. I'm better than that. <laughs> I yep. might as well just fucking get it over with and leave, make my money. Yep. What a businessman, Brock Lesnar, though. Can't fault him for that. Can I throw I back a little bit to what you were saying about the bloodline, though? And yeah. I want to get your take on the breaks. Because I love them, but it seems like a weird group to be experiencing them and also celebrating them with the whole Usi uh, breaking of character. Which, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed Jimmy Fallon on Saturday Night Live. You knew once during the show he was going to break character, and it was hilarious. It was probably funnier than the actual skit was supposed to be. Mm. So the fact that they're like, it doesn't feel like they're, they're really punishing them for it, but also like it's bringing a lot of eyes to WWE that the bloodline who are supposed to be these cold blooded fighters are now, you know, holding back laughing to words like Usi and waffle house. (laughs) Like, like I like I said, I like it, but I want to get I wanted to get your take on this this week. I think it just had the same charm as Mankind and the Rock back yeah. in the day. You have the Rock, this overly cool, super serious guy, and this fucking goof next to him, and so many moments. Like he got the Rock to break a couple of times on screen, but just so many moments where he's just, I mean. If you were to, if you were to guess holding in a laugh or holding in a fart with the rock, it'd be tough to tell. Like just the facial yeah. expression he had to hold to just not bust out laughing. I mean, classic. Just absolutely classic. So I I viewed this in the same way in that Roman and Sammy have this unbelievable chemistry. Right. That you can't build up. It's either there from day 1 or it's not. And I do give the company credit for not just squashing this as soon as they could have in that they've allowed this to just continue to build and build and build. Mm-hmm. And sure, it's not going to lead to Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns, at WrestleMania. <laughs> but I do view this as we will likely get Sami and Kevin my guess is Sammy and Kevin beat the Usos for the for the tag titles. Yeah, I'd still I'd still like to see the payoff being Sammy versus uh Sammy versus Roman Reigns. And I think through, that match will happen. Maybe. And through well, Jay, maybe. And through uh Uso, Jay Uso. Like just there's the the water's boiling between the two of them, even though, you know, you get the breaks, you get the laughing and everything like that. Like they're so we go back to how they're building this. This doesn't feel like it's been built like week by week. Like maybe it's they have a finish line, but they push it back just to see what happens week by week. But I do believe that there's a there is a finish line and one of them could be Jay versus Roman that Jay breaks because he's really the only one who's really been talking about like family and this is my family and I do anything for my family, but you're not family. But the family seems to be going with Sami Zayn. So maybe he breaks off from the family and, and goes after the title again. There's a lot of different ways they can go. And that's when you know a storyline is good. 
mm-hmm. is when like sometimes the obvious is nice, but a multi-layered story that could have multiple different conclusions, yes. the best kind of storytelling in wrestling. So I do give them credit for that. Their main lead storyline is awesome. Everything else, no interest whatsoever from me. Fair. Same. Shall we talk some old school, Mr. Crash Andrews? Uh, that's, that's where I'm a Viking. <laughs> Two particular moments on this day in history stood out to me. One from 1998 and one from 2004. God, Since I had to end the door it. options, what direction do you want to go here? Let's go, let's go with 98. Let's go uh, when I could first legally drink in, in Alberta. <laughs> so, this represented um, Raw breaking the streak of losing to Nitro. The week before, they had lost, and that was the last time they lost. They won and then never lost again, starting on this night in 1998. One of the things featured on this show in the build-up to the 98 Survivor Series, Deadly Game, <laughs> was the creation of a certain championship. I know exactly where you're going. With he- Mankind being awarded and crowned the first WWF Hardcore Champion. The craziest stat I've read about this Mick Foley only held it once, mm-hmm. and it was when it was awarded by Vince McMahon. He lost it, I believe. I want to say it was, I want to say Dreamer, but I think I'm wrong. But whoever uh, he lost it to, he never like that was that was like the rocket ship, uh, that and flying off a cell, no pun intended, was the rocket ship for Mick Foley and mankind. After 28 days, he lost it and a ladder match on Raw to the Big Boss Man. That's right. The Big Boss Man. The only other thing that like really stood out to me with the hardcore run, and it, it provided some amazing moments, but when the New Age Outlaws were... Like, DX had kind of run its course, and everybody was kind of going in their own direction, and... and um. Uh, badass Billy James? No, that's wrong. Is it Billy? What is his name? Billy Gunn. Oh, badass Daddy Billy Gunn. No, but uh, uh, the road Jesse James, road, road dog, dog Jesse James. Jesse James. And uh, like it seemed like uh, badass Billy Gunn was going in the direction of the Intercontinental. And Road yeah. Dog was having more hardcore matches. And somewhere along the line, Road Dog won the Intercontinental and Badass Billy Gunn won the hardcore. And it made absolutely no sense at the time. That was the lead up to WrestleMania 15 in Philadelphia, where, yeah, you're right. For no reason, out of nowhere, they just swapped what program they were in and what title they were going for. Not I one of the better think- moments. I still title. think Billy Gunn uh, and his like the how do you go from building somebody in one of your pay-per-views King of the Ring giving him that spot and then the next night burying the shit out of him 
Like, your first night is King of the Ring, and you got a promo against The Rock. Mm-hmm. Who the Rock is a multi-time champion. He's already established himself as one of the best on the mic. And, uh, yeah, that that pretty much ended that. <laughs> yeah, 90, uh, 99 wasn't a great year for Billy Gunn. Like, it uh, could have been. You can argue 2022 has been one of the best years of his career. <laughs> oh, absolutely. As as that is. Would you but, uh, would you want to see the twenty four twenty four seven title go back to hardcore? No, I I just think it's an era gone by. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they've ever done anything with that twenty four seven title that can really deliver like this did. I mean, I was gonna say memories of the belt and you know St. Valentine's Day massacre in your house in in Memphis. You had. Bob Holly and Al Snow fighting in the river. <laughs> like you're not, you're just not going to see that again. Do you um, remember? Do you did you ever realize what title that was too? Yes. The I remember watching. Title. I remember watching Saturday Night Main Event, and it was Hogan versus uh, Mr. Perfect with the Genius in his corner, in Mr. Perfect's <laughs> corner, and. There's another guy that should have had a, a championship run, as far as I'm concerned, it was Mr. Perfect, not the genius. Um, <laughs> Give it to the genius. Come on. And I think Mr. Perfect either won by disqualification or count out. Count out, I believe. Yeah. And they took the title and they took it to the back and they smashed the crap out of it with a with a mallet mm-hmm. or, or a sledgehammer or, or something. And somehow they they kept that. Now it had to have been like 88, 89. So they held on to that thing for almost a decade before taping it up, writing hardcore on it and handing it over to Mick Foley. But I remember watching that as a kid and just not necessarily traumatized because there was some really weird stuff with like Papa Shango making the ultimate warrior throw up. And, you know, there was other stuff that traumatized me. But to see the heavyweight championship handled in such a way uh i i couldn't get my head wrapped around it and then when i saw it taped up and and given to mick foley it brought uh warmness to my heart <sighs> what a title um other other memories SummerSlam 99 al snow and boss man fighting in the streets of minneapolis and then the year 2000 the greatest year for this title, thanks to one man, Crash Holly. Oh, <laughs> no relation. First, <laughs> first person I think of every time when it comes to this title is Crash Holly fighting in the ball pits. Yeah, going down the slide at that at that place that might as well have been a Chuck E. Cheese. The best. Like, you get no better than what that division really was in terms of just how ridiculous the idea was than when Crash Holly held that title. Well, even even some of the scenes where he's, like, at his hotel room and knock at the door and you hear room service. Like, uh, R-Truth and, uh, and Drake Maverick really encapsulated that 24-7 uh, to what Crash Holly and, and what the WWE was doing in the early 2000s with the Hardcore Championship, where it wasn't just like the guys who weren't on the show running out trying to catch the person who had it. It was like 
like even like the referees bringing their own referee to uh, try and win the title. Like it was very for as, as chintzy as the as the idea was and has, you know, was it the thing that you tuned into? Sometimes it was, but, you know, they really did a really good job with keeping it fresh and new and each week there was something different about how somebody won the title rather than just a schoolboy roll up hand over the title somebody else schoolboy roll up hand over the title like it was actually genius how they did their their title changes with the, they the hardcore they did do a lot of that of course there was a ton yeah. um other, I mean, to your point, right, there was a time where Gerald Briscoe, I forget who was the champion, but pinned the champion backstage while they were taking a nap. Yeah. And the refs counting in slow motion. <laughs> Super. One, yeah. Two, three. And then Gerald Briscoe in slow motion, like Rocky just puts his hands up to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think Patterson. Michael Cole was on commentary, like, Gerald Briscoe has become the hardcore champion, <laughs> which is just wrestling at its at its best just yes. hilarious Love yeah it. you tune in to see stuff you hadn't seen um pat patterson the oldest to hold it and i believe it was um not maven uh chris newitzki was the youngest to hold it as well i'll take your word for that i do know raven had the most reigns of the titles yes. as weird as that is um other standouts uh for me thinking Back to it, WrestleMania 17, Kane, Raven, Big Show, Triple Threat that went all around the Astrodome. <laughs> Where do they threw him through the, the wall? <laughs> oh, it's the best. <laughs> Dude, Raven just getting fucking yeeted through the glass window. But, uh, he, like, you could tell that that was like a makeshift office. Like, they just oh, built yeah. it for that. The thinnest like, wall possible. Paper yes. thin. Yeah. Oh, so amazing. Awesome. Uh, um, also saw its demise when RVD and Tommy Dreamer fought, where RVD yeah. had the Intercontinental and Tommy Dreamer held the uh, Hardcore Championship, and uh, I I didn't like I didn't like how they did that. I don't know how else they would have done it because they had already consolidated the IC title and the US title, yeah. if I remember correctly, or the European. Maybe even the European. Um, around that time. So, okay. So 2000 was Crash Holly. 2001 was, you know, we didn't get to touch up upon the goodness that we saw. Um, like a lot of like, I don't know if you remember the Backlash 01 match, Raven and uh, Rhino, which was awesome. Backlash 2001 in general is a phenomenal pay-per-view. There was a lot once the invasion started between Jeff Hardy and RVD having great matches. Uh, particularly at Invasion and SummerSlam. Right. Uh, those were great. Into 2002, you had the stuff with Undertaker and and Maven, and that spun off into the Royal Rumble elimination, which was fantastic. Um, WrestleMania 18, Mighty Molly beat the Hurricane. I think she hit him with a pan or something like that. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, by you're winding down through 2002, and it's... Steven Richards and Sean Stasiak winning it a lot and just incredible. And it it had run its course at that stage around the time that they looked to 
end it. They did consolidate a lot of titles, though, as you made reference to. Uh, like you said, RVD was the uh, Intercontinental Champion, and that unified with the Hardcore title. Yep. And then by the end of the year, they consolidated the IC title with the World title. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was, was it, God, Triple H beating Kane, if I'm not mistaken? to consolidate that and then they brought it back a few months down the road in 2003 so that was just kind of a lot of their deal around that time um and indeed can confirm um rvd lost at the jericho jericho lost to the kane and it was a title unification match at no mercy 2002 where surprise surprise kane lost to heavyweight champion triple h to unify the title on October 20th, 2002, by May 18th, 2003, Christian had won it in a battle royal at Judgment Day to bring back the title. Don't so, let me ever try and convince you that the Intercontinental title was my favorite title of all time. Like, granted, I there was a special place in my heart watching a hammer destroy the heavyweight title. Like, that sucked. <laughs> but sitting here... I don't remember them consolidating the IC and the heavyweight. And 20 years later, I'm sitting here hearing you say that and just getting pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> right. The IC title should be around and it should be used. Not like, okay, Walter is going to be a future. Sorry, Gunther is going Gunther. to be Gunther is going to be a future heavyweight champion. It's just a matter of time. So to give him the IC title and see what he does with it is smart giving it to just anybody and whoever just because to make them happy or you know it, like it there's people that should never touch the ic title that have touched the ic title there's people who've touched the ic title that should have a good if not better heavyweight title reign than what they have had so far Dolph ziggler yeah, I mean, there was certainly a time where that title just kind of lost its way. When they first brought it back, they did pretty well with it. You know, the Van Dams, Jericho's, Randy Orton had a freaking phenomenal intercontinental title run that kind of directly led up to his eventual world title win, as brief as that was. But yeah, somewhere along the way, that that title lost its uh, lost its way, kind of similar to the hardcore title. <laughs> <laughs> What do you so, got for uh, what do you got for O four? I believe it was that you. Yeah. You so our final little talking point here on this day, again recording November second, twenty twenty two. On this day, day, eighteen years ago. Holy fuck! This is eighteen years ago. On an episode of SmackDown, there was a segment where Kurt Angle was in the ring with the contestants of Tough Enough. <laughs> And the eventual winner of that uh, season, Daniel Pewter, nearly broke Kurt Angle's fucking arm on live TV. Or it might not have been a live edition of SmackDown. It was probably taped, but... it You know Oof. what? As far as they went with it, it I believe it was live. Because, I mean, they would have edited something like that out if somebody went into thought. business for himself. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a challenge where it's like, oh, here's Kurt Angle, like... This Olympic gold medalist in wrestling who's going to embarrass everybody. Little did he know that Daniel Pewter had amateur and professional experience. And when he heard the terms, oh, it's a shoot. He went for it and Kurt wasn't ready and got caught in a Kimura. 
And had it not been for the quick thinking of Earl Hebner counting Pewter's shoulders to the mat, Kurt would have had to tap or Pewter would have broken his arm. This was the moment Daniel Pewter's WWF career or WWE career at the time died. Despite the fact he went on to win that season of Tough Enough over The Miz. Uh, by the next January, in the 05 Royal Rumble, he was thrown into the ring with Benoit, Eddie, and Hardcore Holly, and they uh, pretty much beat the shit out of him and embarrassed him. And that was it for Daniel Peter. For the most part, I mean, yes, Benoit did, the Voldemort. Uh, and <laughs> uh, and uh, Eddie got their shots in, but holy Hannah, Hardcore Holly. If, if there's one image of his career, it is him at the Royal Rumble. Like, he won the Royal Rumble. He didn't outlast 29 other men. But what he did to Daniel Pewter, and you knew it was coming. Like, I, I don't remember the order, but I believe Pewter came out, like, first. And then, like, some of the, I think it might have been Benoit... And then Eddie, and they they gave him shots. They were stiff. And then Hardcore Holly comes out. And mm-hmm. in the words of JR, business was about to pick up. Oh, you knew. You knew something was down when when that, uh, like, why why even keep the guy around? Like, is that is that a matter of you didn't want to pay out his contract? You wanted him to quit? Like, you kept him on the roster to have that moment, and that seems so backwards. It's just the locker room at the time is my presumption. I mean, he, um, you know, ended up winning tough enough at the Armageddon pay-per-view or shortly thereafter in December of 04. The next month is the Rumble. Shortly after the Rumble, he sent to OVW and is released that September. So he was on that roster for less than a year. Yeah, and Tough Enough was a one-year contract, was it not? I would presume so, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, it, it just, it seems weird that, I don't know, if that happened today, I don't know they handle it the same way. Again, I'll, I'll agree with you, like the way the locker room was, the way that uh, the world of professional wrestling was back in the day, that kind of stuff happened. Uh yeah. He would have been released after SmackDown. He would have been suspended and released easily uh, moments after. Like, Vince would have tore his head off. Like, uh, just the idea that you're just like, we want this to be a shoot. We're not going to work the grappling. We want Kurt Angle to legitimately embarrass you guys. Which, let's be honest the history of tough enough, which we don't have time to get into those earlier seasons, maybe on another day, but when they brought back tough enough in what, eight years later, what was it? Andy Levine or something like that, that won it. And then they bring him out on raw and stone cold stuns him. And then he was never seen again. Right. Like they had this history of pretty like the people who lost had better runs than the people who won. Fair. Absolutely fair. If you look at that uh, fourth season, Daniel Pewter wins it. The other people in that, some of the other people in that season, uh, Nick Mitchell, who was a part of the Spirit Squad, 
Ryback, old Skip Sheffield, and uh, some guy named The Miz. So Ryback had two shots. Yes. Season three. Super unfortunate story in the history of wrestling. God rest his soul. Matt Capitelli technically won that season. But what, who was, uh, well, technically a co-winner was uh, John Hennigan. John Morrison, Johnny Nitro, call him what you will. So that one kind of kind of breaks it because there were co-winners that year. Uh, season two, uh, you had Linda Miles, who was later known as Shaniqua, winning the season <laughs> alongside um, Jackie Gata, who, um, you know, Miss Jackie yeah. on SmackDown, Mary Charlie Haas or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the most successful career out of that, runner-ups. Uh, well, runner-up, you had Kenny King, who still wrestles to this day. Good tenures with Ring of Honor and Impact. And uh, the blueprint himself, Matt Morgan. Like, for the most part, the, the secondary options typically did better. It's almost because they had less of a target on themselves for that damn locker room. Yeah, and I mean, if those guys didn't show that they... Um. Yeah, if they if they didn't show that they either knew anything about wrestling or didn't show that they wanted to learn or had paid some dues, and maybe that's why the guys who won had that uh, to use a uh, to use a uh, uh, terminology with uh, hockey, something that you and I are both versed in. It's kind of like Shane Wright, like you have that chip on your shoulder coming in. That you think that you're good, but you still have a lot to learn. And if you're not willing to learn from those who want to teach you, you know, like, should the tough enough winner who's got zero experience, like the Miz had some wrestling experience, but he was known as, as a reality show, uh, TV show guy, right? Mm. Like, so, oh, and he, he went through his own troubles with, oh, and, uh, especially Voldemort. And Bob Holly, he he went through his own troubles in that regard as well. And JBL, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can't have that chip on your shoulder, uh, and come out on top with how the locker room was at that time. But then again, there was there was OVW, but there wasn't NXT. Like you didn't have the opportunity to be seen on a national stage. Like OVW mm-hmm. was not available outside of florida unless you knew ways to get it um well outside of ohio and kentucky and that region Uh, to your point though eventually uh even when it became like fcw they had deep south as well uh but even when it became fcw you're right it was all regional up until it became nxt and it ended up on the network so yeah i mean i agree with you. you to the point of like nxt then being like, was it its own show when it ended up being like, so tough enough ended up being NXT basically like tough enough did have a few more runs on its own as like a reality TV series or whatever. But then NXT kind of took that kind of formula and and ran with it. And that's where we got like Daniel Bryan and, uh, Skip Sheffield Part 2. We got the Nexus. Mm. Like, to have guys who had the experience that needed the break and give them TV time and see what they did. Like, uh, 
I think was a an amazing change to the format that they were using rather than bring people who had no experience. Like those guys I'm sure were treated a lot better than somebody who just had reality show experience. So like I said, I hope someday we get to talk more about tough enough because what a goddamn idea that was before today. And for the sake of your voice, we will wind things down here a day or two late. But you know what? That's okay. Still had to bring you a show. And again, we'll be back next week to hopefully, I mean, have some. I wouldn't say we were totally pessimistic, but hopefully some more optimism (laughs) in regards to the current product. But certainly to wax poetic about years past, which has turned into our favorite thing to do on this particular show. Can I throw one more thing at you? And it it is dungeon wrestling related i'm yeah a mark for dungeon wrestling i'll I'll give you that uh you would not believe tubes i actually had the opportunity to walk up to lance storm shake his hand and tell him that i was at the saddle dome when he ran in and knocked the teeth out of perry saturn basically (laughs) starting the invasion and as much as like if you watch that clip it got an amazing pop but Mm -hmm. i don't know how many people actually knew who Landstorm was but I do remember going to one of the first Canadian Nitros which was in BC it was in Kelowna BC after Vancouver Mayhem I believe it was I think you're right and yeah. Landstorm was walking around with a Team Canada jersey with uh, Storm I want to say 96 or something like that uh, on his back and like I adored Landstorm from the moment I heard him utter the words Calgary Alberta, Canada. And when he ran out, I lost my absolute mind. So to be able to to shake his hand and say, like, I was one of many, but I can tell you right now, that's one of my favorite wrestling moments, especially watching live. But even if I was at home, it's one of the most amazing uh, wrestling moments of all time. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be very selfish and just use some of this time to uh, talk about, about how happy I was to shake Lance Storm's hand and how much he was dead serious and kind of brushed me off. No, he was, he was an absolute gem. He was such dead a good serious. guy. So that's no, spin. support support dungeon wrestling, everybody, especially if you're in the, uh, you know, the Alberta area. You know, like when he, when he put his hands up right afterwards and did his, did his like little spin, like that's iconic to me for some reason. Uh, the saddle dome and landstorm super kicking is so good. It's a beautiful thing. Crash, what do you have going on? In the interim, before our show next week. Uh, Technical issues. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we'll just run with uh, Twitch dot, no, uh, Twitter uh, dot com slash crash underscore Andrews. Uh, Unsure when the Twitch career will resume outside of whenever I can get to a computer store and buy a hard drive. But for those of you listening in the distant future, because this is is pretty close to number 10, by the Mm. way not including the live after uh, all out. Um, yeah, we're getting up there. But yeah, uh, twitch.tv slash Crash Andrews sooner or later and uh, at 2ND Turnbuckle uh, for the uh, the old podcast Twitter there as well. You guys can find me everywhere at Tuki24, T-O-U-G-I-E-24. Thank you for listening to another edition, again, of the second turnbuckle. We'll be back next week. Until then.
Always remember that if you're in a shoot fight with Kurt Angle, <laughs> keep your shoulders off the mat. <laughs>